Climate is what we expect. Weather is what we get. Welcome to Kelowna Talks, where we explore the why behind the decisions that shape your city. Together, we open the curtain and dig deep into current issues, plans, and policies that come out of City Hall. Thanks for joining us as we talk about Kelowna and the topics that matter to you. Hello, everyone. I'm Bob Evans, Partnerships Office Director at the City of Kelowna and host of our Kelowna Talks podcast. I would like to start by acknowledging that our community is located on the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Silks Okanagan people. We are talking today about climate. Don't change the channel. We are not talking about the weather, but they are related. There's a quote I saw somewhere, climate is what we expect, weather is what we get. Essentially, as our climate changes, that's when we see these more extreme weather events like floods, fires, and extreme temperatures. The World Health Organization has stated that climate change is the biggest health threat facing humanity. That's pretty scary. There's no question the climate in the Okanagan is changing. We've had several years of record spring freshet causing flooding, followed by these hot, dry summers that contribute to droughts, and then three of the the worst wildfire seasons on record. With that in mind, with climate change upon us, what are we doing as a city to face climate change head-on, and how does this impact our day-to-day lives as residents of Kelowna? Welcome Chris Ray, our own champion of the environment. Yes, that's his job title, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself. I understand you've got a little bit of a hockey background. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, yeah, I grew up in in West Kelowna, actually, uh, and I would say the first you mentioned hockey, 20 to 25 years of my life were dedicated to the sport of hockey. And uh, in particular, maybe of interest to some people, I spent four years uh, with the Kelowna Rockets here. Uh, and was fortunate enough to be part of some amazing hockey teams. So we won the Memorial Cup my first year in 2004, which was a, a big thing for the community. And had some really, really successful teams even beyond that. I think we won the Western Hockey League the year after that. So. Yeah, I'd say that's uh, it, was a, it was a big part of my life, but things shifted. Uh, I went the university route, so I went to the University of Waterloo, where I was still playing hockey, for varsity hockey there, but that's when I kind of started to focus on the environmental world as well. So I took a degree called Environment and Business, uh, and then doing my master's in resource and environmental management from Simon Fraser University. And uh, started with the city a couple of years ago as the community energy specialist. And then an opportunity came up in April to uh, to take the job of champion the, of the environment, as you mentioned, and uh, yeah, a bit of a unique job title, but uh, yeah, no, excited to be to be working on something that I'm very very passionate about. Well, that's awesome, and I was there for for the for the win and part of the crowd and uh, watched you play and enjoyed uh, enjoyed those days. Those were uh, those are great years for for the hockey team and for for the city. So, do you still play hockey for fun? A little bit. I mean, over the past couple of years, I think as most people with, with COVID, uh, it's been a little hard to, to really get out and do much from a social perspective. But uh, yeah, when it's uh, when COVID wasn't a factor, I was out there playing beer league. Uh, it's nice. I was playing with some of my friends who I grew up with in West Kelowna and getting a chance to play with my brother again. Uh, yeah, it's it's a bit more recreational, a bit more social, not quite as competitive. But I, I took a few years off after I finished playing competitively. And I think 
really missed it. And I think just getting out there, and I think the cliche is that you enjoy just being a part of that dressing room atmosphere. And I find that that for me is just, uh, is really the motivation just to, to keep getting out there and, and hanging out with friends. Yeah, it's going to be hard to go switch from the, all the lights in the action to, to beer league, but beer league's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. It's, we don't have uh, 5,000 fans in the stands, but it's, uh, it's still fun. So, you know, uh, we're trying to get to know people inside City Hall. And what else do you do outside of City Hall? Then we're going to get into your role. But what, what do you do for fun? What gets you excited? And tell us a little bit about your, you know, outside of City Hall time. Yeah, I think as being a hockey player, I think you could tell I'm used to being an athlete. So I think anything, getting out there, being active. And we live in a place here where if you're not taking advantage of being outside, then you're crazy. So uh, I think for me, whether it's uh, going out and playing spike ball with friends on the beach, uh, going out for bike rides. I have uh, four kids, so uh, that keeps me busy most of the time. But uh, trying to, yeah, trying to be, trying to be active uh, as much as I can with them. But just taking advantage of everything that uh, this beautiful place has to offer. And as you mentioned, I play beer league hockey a lot of times. Yeah. Okay, that's great. <laughs> okay, so we're going to get into your role, uh, your role a little bit now, and uh, your job, champion of the environment. Sounds pretty impressive. So, uh, you know, I, I thought to myself, so if you win a Memorial Cup, do you get to put champion in front of everything? So, you know, that's, that's kind of a nice bonus, eh? Yeah. So like champion dad, <laughs> champion biker, like, does that just go along with it? All kidding aside. So can you tell us a little bit about your role and uh, what you do at the city? Yeah, I know. Since I took the position, I think that the title itself has been the, the topic of conversation probably more than exactly what I do. But uh, I think the amount of times people have told me to wear a cape, maybe that's maybe that's fitting. But I think it's good. Like it, it, brings, yeah. it brings importance to the role, though, which I think is, you know, it, hopefully where we're going to dig into a little bit here today and how important this issue has become for all of us in the city and particularly inside inside the walls of City Hall and how we look at all of our policy and directions as we go forward. Yeah, for sure. So the role itself is uh, over the next couple of years, recognizing that climate action, environmental protection are, is a big council priority uh, through Imagine Kelowna. We know it's something that our community cares about. And even at the corporate level, there's staff, the amount of uh, work that we do at the city that touches on climate action, environmental protection, it's, it's, it's important. It's a big priority. So essentially the role is to do a review of everything that we're doing related to climate action and environmental protection at the city. Uh, to see where there might be some gaps and to provide a report to council sometime next year indicating what might be some recommendations for ways that we can improve. Just recognizing that it is such a big priority and uh, a big topic right now, even just at a global level. So it's great. It's a diverse role. You get to sit at many, many tables inside of City Hall and have a lens and a voice at, at the table. Yeah, no, that's, I think one of the things I've started to realize more and more getting into this role is just how much we do at the city touches on those topics. So um, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's planning, uh, whether it's city works, uh, generally almost everything we do at the city touch it has some relationship is either impacted by or impacts the environment. So um, it's a it's a big, big task and just understanding the challenges that we're facing right now uh, at a global level from uh global warming emissions um, and the the urgency from a global level to try and reduce those emissions and even just without emissions reduction understanding the impacts to the climate that we're going to see regardless of uh, how successful we are over the next decade and a bit to actually reduce emissions uh, there's some real importance to the work so I think when I think about my role I'm uh, I do feel like there's some purpose to it and understanding that there there's uh, can have some big impacts I think there's a huge purpose to it so several years ago, the city endorsed a community climate action plan. 
Can you tell us a little bit of what that is? What are the goals of the plan and how are we doing as a city? Sure, yeah. So the Community Climate Action Plan is generally focused on climate mitigation. So I mentioned greenhouse gas emissions reduction, but essentially that is um, what the plan is focused on. And we have some targets, the city, I believe it's 4% uh, emissions reduction compared to 2007 levels by 2023, 30, uh, 25% reduction by 2033, and then I believe an 80% reduction by 2050. So that plan, which was created in 2018, outlines all the different actions that are recommended to meet that 2023 emissions reduction target. So covering everything from transportation, uh, buildings, and waste are generally the three that it's focused on, and different actions that we can do to try and reduce emissions. Okay. <clears throat> a little bit later on in this conversation, I'm going to ask you to dig a little deeper in that and yeah. how it relates to us, you know, as normal people in our day-to-day -day lives. So sure. hold that thought. Yep. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the OCP, our official community plan. I hope that the environment is woven into that plan. Can you expand on that a little bit? And is it, was it, how does that look from a broad-based planning perspective? Yeah, I think that actually two of the key pillars of the official community plan, the 2040 OCP, are focused on environmental protection. So there's, I believe, one is in the, uh, protecting our natural environment, and then the other one's taking action in the face of climate change. So on the climate change side, uh, looking at different objectives and policies and ways that we can reduce our greenhouse gas emissions, but then also adapt to changes that we're going to be expecting uh, from, from a changing climate over the coming years. Um, it aligns various objectives and policies, and I think some of it is going to be similar to the Community Climate Action Plan, but uh, this, the OCP goes to 2040, so it's very much a long-term plan. And uh, again, you're, you're going to see things such as objectives and policies related to ways that we can reduce emissions in buildings and transportation from the waste sector, um, but then also really dives into different objectives and policies related to climate adaptation as well, um, ways that we can adapt our infrastructure, touches on things such as green infrastructure. Um, it's a long document. It's meant to be. Obviously, it's uh, one of the key plans for the city, but the environment and climate action is definitely, as I mentioned, the key pillars, but you're going to start to see climate action initiatives kind of woven, as you mentioned, throughout other areas of the OCP as well. So I would say, yes, it's definitely definitely part of the OCP. And uh, as I mentioned, two, two of the key pillars. So good to hear. So if our listeners or if some of our listeners think this is their most important item from a citywide perspective, they can rest assured that it's it's we're, we're dealing with it, we're talking about it, and it's it's in the plan. Absolutely. Yeah, it's in the plan. But uh, yeah, it's essentially just, as I mentioned, taking the the kind of some of the key visions and priorities from the community through Imagine Kelowna. And, and one of those was take action in the face of climate change. So um, that definitely makes its way into the OCP and uh, reflects not only what council wants, but the community wants. Okay, the next question is a pretty small one. What do you think climate change might look like in Kelowna in the future? Yeah. I know that's a huge question. So, uh, you know, what can you tell us? And we're going to dig a little deeper into that as we go. But sure. what's, your, what's your, your position, your stance, your thoughts on that? Well, I think some of the key impacts that, you know, I'm not projecting, the scientists are projecting, but from a modeling perspective, I think we can, let's sort of put it into precipitation and temperature. So we're going to be expecting more precipitation in the Okanagan uh, in the next few decades. But the key there is when that precipitation, so rain and snow is going to be happening. I think we're going to see increased precipitation in the spring and fall and less during the summer. So when you think about that from an impact perspective, uh, floods, 
we started, we're starting to see more and more of that in the springtime. And I think that with uh, a changing climate, and I guess regardless of how effective we are at reducing our emissions, we're going to start to see those changes more and more. Um, less action on emissions reduction will just amplify uh, some of those impacts that we see. But I think some of those, the increased precipitation and therefore more flooding in the springtime. Um, and then summertime, from a temperature perspective, uh, we're going to see hotter hotter temperatures with less precipitation. And I think this year we kind of saw that, right? We saw it was scary. Like, it was scary. scary. I mean, yeah. it was a real yeah. long run, longer than we normally get. And uh, I think there was a lot of conversation around my group friends or friends, groups of friends and dinner table about this. Yeah, absolutely. And it was that one week in particular in, in June where it was these extreme, extreme temperatures more than what we've seen in the, in the mid forties. And uh, you know, I don't think from a year to year we're going we're gonna to see that level of heat, yeah. but I think we'll start to see more of those temperatures. And so those are the types of impacts I think at a very high level we'll start to see is uh, higher temperatures, specifically in the summer, uh, less precipitation in the summer, which creates these drought conditions, and then more precipitation in the spring and, and autumn, which creates conditions that uh, increase the risk of flooding. So I don't think that necessarily a lot of us in the city think about how these floods and fires and so on, extreme weather events can affect the city and, and from a budget perspective. Um, you know, it, it costs us whenever there's storms, flooding, snow, excess snow removal, droughts, fires and so on, and disrupts business operations and impacts the city budgets. So what are we doing as a city from that perspective? What key areas of a city are we working on that people might not be aware of? Yeah, you know, one example which I actually was talking to somebody about this past week was, I don't think necessarily a lot of people know that during these uh, wildfire situations, um, perhaps the, the, the crane incident that happened in downtown this year, um, there's an emergency operations center, and a lot of times that draws on many city staff to dedicate their time to that. So this past summer uh, was one of the, we saw many opportunities when staff were called to actually be part of the emergency operations center and if you just think about the impact of that on uh, staff already have their current workloads right. so um, i think one of the things we're talking about is how we actually handle that at the city um, from a budget perspective i would say infrastructure the way that our infrastructure uh, in times and, and, and staff as well from a wildfire perspective uh, the fire department is part of the city and when they're putting in extra hours dedicated towards wildfires that definitely impacts budgets so things like that um, yeah and just infrastructure being overloaded and the amount of uh, planning that needs to go to start to plan for these uh, these changing conditions to climate change is something that certainly impacts our budgets but yeah I thought that that, that EOC uh, example was something that not a lot of people maybe would think about is that our staff are being called to be part of these uh, these emergency situations as part of the EOC. And as those uh, extreme weather events become more common, that's going to be happening more and more. Yeah, and just for clarification, it's not just you. There's a, a wide diversity and a, and, a, and a large group of people that are involved in that, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah, there's many staff that are involved from, uh, you know, the, the EOC, Emergency Operations Center, will call on staff to be involved from a communications perspective, from a planning perspective, obviously the fire department. So there's many, many staff uh, at the City of Kelowna who are part of that. Okay, now I'm going to get back to um, greenhouse gas emissions and uh, that large topic. Yeah. Um, and it's affecting all of us, climate change. So we say, we say that everyone needs to do their part to reduce our own greenhouse gas emissions and limit the impacts on climate change. I'm a simple guy. 
what can I do and what can my friends do and what can my family do and what can we do as city employees and, and city residents? What can we do to make a difference? And um, what does that look like from a policy perspective at City Hall? And how do we translate all of this into not just policies and dreams, but actions, feet on the ground? Yeah, for sure. So I'll, I'll kind of take that at the personal level to start off, like what, what could you and what other citizens could do at the city to, to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions? There's so many ways that you could go about it, but I would say focus on energy. So the big ones in Kelowna, transportation accounts for about 54% of our emissions locally. Uh, so the way that we move around. And then buildings would be the second at 40%. And then the third would be waste. So if you could start to think about how your life relates to those um, and reducing, reducing your emissions uh, from transportation and buildings in particular, there's some simple ways you could do. So the energy you use, the more fossil fuels that you're using, it's likely that there's a higher emissions factor associated with that. On the transportation side, focus on reducing your travel. So I'd say the most cost-effective way that you can reduce emissions is just move around less. So when we think about the connection to that from a planning perspective, when we're building more dense communities, uh, you can live, work, and play in the same area. You might not even need to get in a car. Therefore, well, I think COVID's taught us that, right? I yeah. mean, I, we were talking about that before we started this interview, that how our lives have changed quite dramatically and how they continue to change where we work from home, a lot of us. And when we did go out in the car, what, what a noticeable difference it was with reduced traffic on the roads and just the quietness and all the other impacts of less auto trips. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think that on a personal level, uh, getting in a car less is, is one way. So getting walking, biking, but then even just limiting the amount of uh, trips that you actually need to take is one effective way. And I mean, we talked about earlier the, the official community plan. And I think that, you know, having a permanent growth boundary and really trying to focus on uh, density within the community, I think that that's a planning initiative as well, that ways that we could support that. Um, if that's not feasible and you still need to travel around quite a bit or you live in a different city and you need to commute the next thing would be switch from a gasoline or diesel vehicle to an electric vehicle uh, it's not necessarily cost effective if you, you just bought a new vehicle but those times where you're maybe thinking uh, i need to get a new car anyways think of going electric we're, we're fortunate in british columbia compared to other provinces and, and either in other countries where our electricity grid at least from an emissions perspective uh, is essentially clean energy as it comes from hydropower. So I understand there's other issues with hydropower, but from an emissions perspective, estimate that it's about 97% renewable, our electricity grid. So when you switch to electrification, uh, that's generally you're, using, you're losing, using clean energy. I'll just switch over to the building side, but... Um, uh, Hold on, before you do that, yep. how about you? What do you do? How do you get around? Do you, as the athlete, are you biking, walking? Driving a huge truck? What? What? Uh, what are you doing? I don't think I could get away with driving a huge truck, but <laughs> I got to walk the talk a bit. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, I mentioned traveling less. We made a uh, when we moved into our most recent home. Made a big part of that was wanting to live, work, play in the same area. We live in the old Glenmore area, so uh, typically I'll be biking uh, our young four-year-old to, to daycare. Uh, and biking into work to City Hall all within one trip, which is in about a 10 minute, 10 minute bike ride. So I think that that itself essentially eliminates my transportation emissions on most days. And I'd say that that's the most effective and cost effective way that people can actually reduce their emissions. Where do you get excited when you see us inside the City Hall and some of the things that you've either been part of or are, are going to be addressing in the future? How does that translate to me as a citizen of Kelowna 
and um, the forward action through all these policies. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, the TMP was just released, or the draft TMP, and so I think a large, TMP? oh, sorry, trans, transportation TMP. master plan. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it uh, kind of aligns with the official community plan, but it's obviously focused on transportation and, and some of our objectives and policies out to 2040. So a big focus of that is active transportation. And one of the key things the city can do is around infrastructure, right? So to actually get more people uh, riding bicycles, for example, they need the infrastructure to support that. So I think that we've seen some key infrastructure projects, whether that's uh, along Ethel Street is a good example, where we have dedicated bike lanes. I think uh, the commitment to having more of that in the community will really help promote more people actually getting onto their bicycles. And so are we are we getting out of the cars and onto bikes? Or statistically, are we monitoring that? And is that happening in our city? <laughs> we are monitoring that. I don't have any numbers for you personally, but uh, I know that we have, as part of the transportation master plan, we do have some targets to start to see active transportation. So walking and biking increase to a certain percentage uh, along those long-term trajectories. Uh, some other things we're doing at the city related to transportation was the, the community electric vehicle and e-bike strategy that was endorsed by council last month. So recognizing that as much as we try and people get people uh, out of their vehicles and into active transportation, the automobile is going to continue to be a big part of our transportation system for, for the next couple decades for sure. So the ways that we can decarbonize that by switching to electric vehicles can play a, a huge role in terms of emissions reduction and actually relating that to our community climate action plan, getting people into electric vehicles is the second most impactful thing we can do aside from getting people into public transit to reduce emissions in the community. So a big part of the EV strategy and e-bike strategy is uh, getting EV charging into new construction. So we're working right now through our, our revised zoning bylaw to require that new residential commercial developments uh, incorporate, this called energized for level two, but essentially having all the infrastructure necessary within say a multi-unit residential building. Uh, so somebody who moves in there, they have the park install, it's energized for a level two charger. So it could provide a full charge in four to eight hours. Um, and essentially all that person would need to do is put in the charger itself. Because otherwise, otherwise, right now, a lot of people are moving into new multi-unit residential buildings without access to charging because from a development perspective, that wasn't incorporated uh, in the new construction phase. So I think that could play a big part is trying to, to get more EV charging out there to support uh, the amount of EV, EV drivers. Um, looking at ways to do deep energy retrofits to our to our home to make uh, it more energy efficient and have less emissions impact. But uh, as I mentioned, the next thing I was going to get into was the, the building side of things. And I think that's a bit more of a challenge. The key there is heating and cooling system from an energy perspective so uh, or an emissions perspective. So if you're starting to replace your heating and cooling system with uh, a more a less emissions intensive form, such as electricity, as I mentioned, so electric heat pump, uh, that goes a long way. But even looking at ways just to reduce your energy consumption in general is probably more a cost effective way. I think we're past the point now and the, em the emissions reduction we need at a community and global level is so high that we're kind of past the point of just switching out your light bulbs. Right. I think, you know, most people can buy LED light bulbs, but there's going to need to be more impact than that if we're to achieve some of our uh, more ambitious targets that are needed for uh, to address climate action. So starting on the building side to get into something that's called these deep energy retrofits, which can be quite expensive, but um, I'd say the most cost effective thing, use less energy. And I think the my observation is that these changes are becoming easier for us to make as homeowners. It's uh, part of the conversation. It's out there in, in the marketplace in terms of items we can purchase for our homes and our personal use and so on. So 
maybe it's not as hard as we think it is. Yeah, I would say the focus should be on those different different trigger points where you might be doing like for an example, thinking of home renovations. You know you need to replace your roof. You know you need to he- replace your heating, heating and cooling system anyways. Consider options that are going to have less uh, emissions associated with that. So maybe when you're changing out your, your roof, you can also look at your attic insulation. When you're changing out your heating and cooling system, consider an electric heat pump or purchasing renewable natural gas. We're not expecting that people are just going to, uh, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're, you're just going to go buy an electric vehicle just because. Uh, it's quite expensive. But if you're going to buy a new vehicle anyways, start to consider those, those energy efficient or less emissions intensive options. And the nice part about it, there's, there's starting to be a lot of co-benefits associated with it as well. I think of um, being using or being more energy efficient at home, that's reducing your heating and cooling bills. So it's not just the environmental argument anymore. If you can find ways that are also going to be cost effective, I think that that just makes sense. I appreciate your messaging and, uh, you know, we all, it's, it's, it's up to all of us to, to make this happen. And, uh, so, okay, back to city hall. I, you know, cause I, uh, the whole point of this, or one of the points of this is to educate people in terms of what we do inside a city hall. And I want to ask you a little bit about things like, you know, environmentally sensitive lands and the protection of those and how all of that factors into how we how we deal with the environment inside City Hall. So we talked a lot about auto and transportation, auto emissions, I should say. And so tell us a little bit about uh, the protection of environmentally sensitive lands, um, the connection again between the environment and what we're doing inside the OCP in terms of densification and concentration on urban centers and so on. Can you elaborate a little bit on that, on your contribution and view lens? Yeah, I'll touch on it a little bit. Now, my background's more related to the uh, the energy side and the mitigation side. So, But from an official community plan perspective, as it relates to, to environmental sensitive areas, we have a natural environment development permit area. So essentially, anytime a development comes in, in these areas that we've identified within the natural environment DPA, uh, they need to take in certain considerations. And the real goal in that is to ensure that those natu- these areas that we've deemed import- important from uh, an environmental sensitivity perspective uh, and have real value to the community. So thinking our riparian areas around creeks uh, and other uh, key ecosystems within the community, making sure that uh, development proposals within those particular areas are not impacting the natural environment. So um, I'd encourage people to, to check out the OCP and, and, and see what's a part of the, the natural environment DPA. But I'd say from a planning perspective, that's, that's one way that we're addressing environmental sensitive, uh, sensitive systems. Okay, good. Thank you. Well, we're coming towards the end of our, of our time here already. And uh, I just want to make sure there's, there's, um, that I'm not missing anything. Is there, is there something that you would like to say to the listeners of this podcast uh, as a either a personal antidote or you know a little inside view in, inside of your day day to day business and what you're doing uh, for us on the environment in city hall whatever that is do we do we miss something here no i think that 
you know, you mentioned, I will say, you mentioned the 2018 Community Climate Action Plan. Now that has actions out to, to 2023. I think some key documents have come out since then, uh, whether it's the Clean BC Roadmap, which was produced this, this week, uh, as well as um, even, even just after we re released the Community Climate Action Plan, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, came out with some, some key reports indicating that uh, more aggressive emissions reduction is needed. So we are going through the exercise right now of uh, kind of taking the, seeing what it would take to meet these more uh, aggressive emissions reduction targets. So while some of that might not be woven in yet into plans such as the official community plan and even our current climate action plan, uh, we realize that these are evolving issues and we're going to take this, the, the most modern science and adopt as necessary. So we're going through that exercise right now of modeling our emissions at a community level to see what it would take to make those more ambitious targets. And I think, as I mentioned at the start, we're the environment, environmental protection, climate action, even just the generation of my, my, my role indicates that it's a key priority for this council, for the city. And uh, we want to make sure that we're doing what we can on the policy level. My only other message would be uh, it's not just the city making policies that's going to allow us to, to meet some of these more ambitious targets. It's it's re revolves around uh, relies on the community actually following through with it from a behavioral perspective. So we 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 talked about earlier some ways at a personal level that people can actually reduce their emissions. Uh, I think that I'd encourage people to to look at their own lives and figure out how can I contribute to reducing my emissions in the community and our fight against climate change. Oh, good. I appreciate that and. Uh... So, uh, yeah, I, I think the city has definitely shown leadership by creating a position like this uh, with the great title. But it, uh, I think it's good for everyone to know that it's, it's fully integrated into all aspects of City Hall. So if our listeners want to learn more about the environment and how we deal with it in the city of Kelowna, uh, where do they go? How do they find out? Uh, we have, I believe it's uh, kelowna.ca slash environment. Uh, I know a lot of the work that we're doing on climate mitigation will be clona.ca slash energy, which touches on some of our, our energy programs, electric vehicle, uh, an e-bike strategy will be, be in there, retrofit strategy, and some stuff we're doing along new construction related to energy step code. Um, but check out our webpage for sure. We try and do uh, monthly or periodic eScribe updates. So I would encourage people to sign up through our eScribe system to and touch the climate action and environment or check the climate action and environment topic. So we try and do some regular updates and whether that's different incentives that are available, different policies or programs that we're doing at the city related to those topics uh, and just trying to, to be a bit more uh, up-to-date resource for people. Um, yeah. And otherwise, give me a call. I'd love to have, I do. I love having chats with people just about uh, what they're seeing in the community, what some of their priorities are. And I think that uh, in my role in trying to understand that ways that we can uh, make more progress on this topic, I really want to hear what the community has to say as well. So I'm always, always up for having those conversations. Well, there you go. That's a great offer. Call Chris Ray. Well, you know, your, your passion for the environment is obvious through this conversation. And I want to thank you for your time and raising our collective awareness on the key environmental issues and your personal and corporate dedication to a healthy, clean and resilient future for our city. So thanks, Chris, and we'll see you around City Hall. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Bob. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kelowna Talks. For more conversations about topics that matter in your community, subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you liked what you heard, give us a five-star rating and share Kelowna Talks with your friends and neighbours. 
If you'd like more information about this podcast and other big community conversations, visit Kelowna.ca slash community stories. 